0: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host Conor Bromley, and I'm joined today by Dan Marsh and Simon Mullick and we're just going to drive straight into it this morning. Simon, let's begin Manchester United. A shocking week. Uh, began with a pretty disappointing performance in the Manchester Derby at the weekend. And then last night, an absolutely shocking performance against Newcastle that saw them knocked out of the Carabao Cup. What is happening at Old Trafford at the minute?
2: It's just um the, the season has just fallen apart, hasn't it? Um, you know, just as you think it can't get any worse for United... It does, and you know Newcastle went there. You know Eddie, Eddie Howe didn't even build his what you would call his strongest team, and still won with some comfort and something to spare. And you know apart from a a little brief flurry at the, the start of the second half, they were they were worthy winners. Um, I, I mean that's the worrying thing for you that you know teams can go through um, a, a run of a run of bad results, but the performances show absolutely no sign. Of improving you know they, they had 10 minutes at the start of the derby against City and then capitulated as soon as the first goal went in and you know they can argue all they want about you know whether it was soft, soft penalty or not it probably was but United teams of old would would have reacted to that and the best teams react to setbacks and United uh, are absolutely nowhere near at the moment and uh you know the thing. Obviously, I think Ten Hag is lucky in a way that the fans continue to point the finger at the Glazers, kind of you know driven driven in part by you know Gary Neville, who is adamant that it's it's a a problem at the top of the club rather than the dressing room. I would say it's a problem with uh, in both. And there was something Gary Neville said after the derby defeat that kind of made me think. Well, if th- this is the attitude of that uh, that. The, Manchester United have you can tell why they're in this kind of state and he he said he turned around and said you know look at Old Trafford look at the training ground Manchester United deserve the best stadium in the country Manchester United deserve the best training ground in the country why because the Manchester United doesn't work like that anymore it worked like that for years when Sir Alex Ferguson was there because he was a genius you know he was able to keep the club up there despite the Glazer ownership um you know, football doesn't work like that. You get what you deserve. And at the moment, Manchester United are getting absolutely what they deserve on the on the pitch, that is. And Dan, you know, Simon there just mentioned a lot
1: of the issues there, particularly with Eric Ten Hag and whether or not he deserves criticism. And certainly some sections of Man United fans definitely are not, you know, they're almost looking past the manager and saying it's it's beyond that. But do you think Ten Hag's on a tight rope? At the minute do you think he still has plenty of time? Or do you think that his raid as Manchester United
0: boss is, is heading towards its kind of dismal end? I wouldn't say he's got plenty of time. I mean, I would say he's probably still got a bit of credit in the bank um, because obviously he came in last year and did a, a good job, got him into the Champions League and, and obviously won a trophy. But he, he, you know, he's not beyond criticism. Obviously there are other major problems at, at Manchester United, which are well documented, but you know, when it comes to on the pitch, you know, it's Ten Hag's team. Um, I look at, you know, some of his signings, you know, even this summer, you know, um, last summer as well, Anthony's come in, he's not delivered. Mason Mount, um, you know, he's missed a few games of injury. You know, there's 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 aspects of United which are right at the minute, which, you know, are down to him. So he can't escape criticism. Um, and nobody is, look, he's got credit in the bank, but I think they've lost something like eight of their first 15 games this season, you know, any club that can't continue, let alone a, a club like Manchester United.
1: Simon, what do you make of the transfer policy? Because, you know, Dan's just mentioned there, Anthony, and, and I think he's the poster boy of bad recruitment. I would say over the last couple of years, but I saw a stat the other day that they've signed eight players under there Ten Hawk who'd played in the area at at some point. Is, is that a big issue that the recruitment under him is been? I would argue woeful, maybe that that's too harsh, but I just look at every player they brought in, and I, I question whether or not they're a true improvement on what they had
2: previously. He's clear; he's clearly clearly got an obsession with Dutch players because they're the players that he knows best, and they're the players that he thinks he can trust. But obviously, the Premier League is a lot different to the Eredivisie, uh, as he's as he's found out this season. Um, the one thing I would say about United's recruitment is it's been—I mean, it's been terrible for a decade. And more now, not not just since Ten Hag took over, but the manager is clearly Ten Hag. That is has clearly been driving transfers since he came into the club, and um, I don't think there's any there's any argument. He, that United overpaid for for massively overpaid for Anthony. Um, there should be somebody at the club who who was there to say, look, we'll you know we'll go to forty million, we'll go to fifty million. But Ajax basically knew how desperate they were and how desperate Ten Hag was to get him and, and basically forced United into pay, paying a premium. Now, the top clubs walk away from that. We saw um, we saw Liverpool do it, for example, with Virgil van Dijk. You know, Man City do it all the time. Um, if, if they, you know, they did it with Declan Rice in the summer. If it gets too expensive, they just draw a line under it and, and, and go somewhere else. United don't seem to have that kind of discipline in the transfer market which is is worrying. And it's it's a discipline that's been lacking at Old Trafford, like I say, for 10 years. How many of these signings have, have actually come off? Um, not, you know, not too many. I mean, I would say Alessandro uh, Martinez is probably the best, but he's, um, um, unfortunately for him, and unfortunately for Ten Hag, he seems to be permanently injured at the moment. Um, but, you know, Mason Mount, you looked at that team on, on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, in the derby, and you've got you've got an eighty million pound winger sat next to a sixty million pound midfielder. I, I just don't understand that. You've got um, Rafael Varane, a World Cup winner, probably United's most accomplished defender, on the bench, while Harry Maguire, who you know, I like Harry Maguire. I think he's a you know he's a he's a really good player. Just coming under a you know coming under the spotlight a little bit. Uh, because he's played for Manchester United, but if 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 Harry Maguire really hasn't got a future at Old Trafford, why on earth would he be first choice in the Manchester derby when you've got Rafael Varane sat on the bench? It, it, it there just doesn't seem to be any any joined up thinking at the club, and you just wonder whether you know when you see decisions like that, whether ten Hag's head is just scrambled. You know, he's shell his shell shot Didn't expect this to happen. Everybody expect, United, expected United to build on what they achieved last year. Really encouraging first season at the club, despite some serious defeats in big games like the you know Liverpool and, and Man City away. Um, so I just wonder whether whether Ten Hag is, is kind of struggling at the moment as well in terms of uh, where his his kind of headspace is.
1: Dan, how do you think Man United get out of this current situation? I mean, how, how do we sit here come March with Manchester United sat close to the top four? Is
0: that at this stage even possible? Um, still very, very early in the season. I think anything's possible in terms of top four, but I think I need more from my big players. I mean, you look at Marcus Rashford last season, obviously had a blinding season, um, signed a new deal in the summer. It's not really worked for him um, so far this year. Uh, I know there's obviously always talk over Bruno Fernandes, over his role in the team rather than his performances, I'd say. But, you know, I don't think anyone, there's not one player who stands out for me at Manchester United this season who has kind of excelled. Um, You know, Ten Hag needs to find a solution to that. And, you know, part of what Simon's saying there as well, like he also needs to, I don't know if going back to basics is the right term, but like, you know, Raphael Varane is probably, you know, their best defender. Why, why he's not in the team for the life of me? Um, you know, Johnny Evans was all back in the summer as cover and he's starting alongside Harry Maguire, you know, in the derby while Varane's on the bench. Um, you know, I, I think he needs to find a way to to get more out of uh, their big players and also more out of his signings. You know, he's paid the money for players like Anthony and Mason, Man, he needs to find out how to get the best of them, um, you know, too many players are, are underperforming. And while the manager will take, you know, a lot of the flack, you know, they need to, it's on them. And he needs to find a, a way to kind of get, you know, get that working in, in the next few months. It's Fulham away this weekend, Simon for Manchester
1: United. Does it have a feel like to me, this, this game is prime, you know, real tough afternoon for Manchester United and, and everything comes crumbling down and I could see them. I'm not saying lose convincingly, but I can see them dis- being a, a disappointing performance in this game and maybe losing one or two nil. How important is this game this weekend? Because if Manchester United were to go to Craven Cottage and were to put in another disappointing performance, lose their ninth game so far of the season, to me, it would feel
2: like a decision might have to be made. Well, I mean, I don't think Ten Hag will be sacked if they lose at Fulham. Simply because, as Dan says, he's got credit in the bank. He, he still has got credit in the bank from last season. The fans, or the, the vast majority of fans, haven't turned on him. There, there are whispers amongst the the, the, the supporter base that you know is it, is Ten Hag the right man for the job. Let's not forget as well, can United afford to sack another manager? You know because they're not only paying off, they're not only going to be paying off Ten Hag. They'll be paying off his backroom staff as well. And then where did he go? You know who who on earth did he, they turn to? Um, if they if they sacked Ten Hag after giving him four hundred million pounds to spend in the transfer market over the last eighteen months, so it, I, again, I, I mean, would it mean would you would you be surprised if you got sacked? No, because United are a club of, of knee jerk reactions. I don't think this time. I think they've got to be a little bit more patient. But it's a huge game. I mean, they're eighth now. They're not not that far out of touch in terms of sort of challenging for the top six. I think the top four. Certainly, even at this point of the season, it's going to be very difficult. Although obviously it could be an extra Champions League place, um, you know, next season. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a huge game, and, and the problem Marco Silva is, is tactically is is I think is a, a really accomplished coach and manager, and you know that his kind of message to Fulham will be: look, if if we if we frustrate them, if we uh, make it really difficult for them to 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 kind of progress attacks. Then at some point they're going to lose heart because that's what United have done from from day one this season. And you know we can't be shocked by it. We saw them concede six in the derby at, at the Etihad last season. We saw them concede seven at Liverpool. You're four 0 down in the first half at, at, at Brentford. So there's a kind of um, th- th- there is a lack of of kind of. I wouldn't say fighting spirit, but there has been a a lack of, a a lack of kind of um, belief that they can, they can retrieve games when they, when they fall behind. Um, And uh, I think it's going to be a really tough afternoon for, for United.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com
2: the longest field
1: goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed cup um dan or lost at west ham is that a cause for concern such a, a heavy loss or do you think Mikel arteta will just be like well we're more bothered about the league and the champions league so
0: going out this competition isn't the end of the world yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I don't think you know they'll be, there's massive calls for concern. You could see that from your starting lineup. I think he made six changes, didn't he? In the likes of uh, Saka, Odegaard, you know, key players are on the bench. Um, also, have got bigger fish to, to fry this season. Um, they've obviously got title aspirations. Um, I do think to kind of back up their success of last season, they you know they could probably do with a trophy this season. But is the Carabao cut? Going to appease a fan base which has been starved of success, you know, for for, for many many years, probably not. Um, I think that was always going to be the challenge for us on this season. You know, they they did so well last year, challenging for the title. Um, they look, you know, capable of doing that again this year. But it's all it, it was going to be about how they adjusted with those extra games with the Champions League um, schedule. Obviously, the Carabao Cup isn't a priority with that on their agenda. Um, so I don't think anyone, no one likes losing and it is a you know a trophy. No one's overjoyed that they've lost, but, you know, I don't think there's any need for alarm bells to, to be ringing at Arsenal. And I don't think anyone, you know, will be overreacting to that person there. Simon,
1: Liverpool went through at Bournemouth. Chelsea defeated Blackburn. Obviously Newcastle won as well. Everton as well got a, a pretty convincing win. Who do you think are the favourites to win this competition this year because I think it's it's interesting now because Man City are out it feels like you know somebody can can have a proper swing. I look at West Ham and Newcastle in particular and think, well, this is your year to really really
2: go for this. But yeah, you've got to listen, you've got to say Liverpool are the overwhelming overwhelming favourites, and um I thought Jurgen Klopp's reaction last night. I saw the sort of video clip of Jurgen Klopp's reaction to. Hearing that Manchester United have been knocked out, and you know he he, he was struggling to kind of suppress that smile because he can see this this tournament, you know, really opening up for him. I think the key for Liverpool is what kind of team Klopp plays, you know, going forward in the in in the competition. Is he, is it will he you know keeps sh- go to win it? In, you know, in, in in a way, West Ham and Newcastle. We we saw last season how seriously Newcastle took the tournament. We know how uh, desperate. They are to to land their first trophy since what is it, 1917, 1969, the first cup, uh, first domestic trophy since nineteen fifty five. So that's that's a long way, long time for a club of Newcastle stature to to go without uh, any silverware. So I'm pretty sure, even though Eddie Howe didn't play his strongest team last night, they've knocked out City United in the in the first two rounds. So um, you know, I think you can be pretty sure that he will be. Uh, they will be taking it seriously and and trying to get over the line this time.
1: And Dan, Port Vale and Borough, they drew each other in the quarterfinal. which means one of them will be in the semifinal. I think it's always interesting when you see, I mean, obviously Middlesbrough is a big club. They've been in the Premier League. They've even won the competition this century. Um, Port Vale at home against Middlesbrough, they've got a chance to kind of replicate what Bradford did, what was it, 10, 11 years ago and and really go far in this competition. Do you like seeing, you know, one or two of these teams getting so late into this competition?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. It's, you know, it's what makes our domestic cup so special. Like, you know, as a Millwall fan, I can remember one of my earliest memories is, you know, reaching the FA Cup final back in 2004 and it makes you know, massive difference for these clubs and and these supporters and, you know, Paul have has, you know, got a chance of of getting through to the semis, you know, Middlesbrough are a really, really good team under Michael Carrick. Um, I know they had a tough start to the season, but you know, they're firing on all cylinders right now. Um, So it's brilliant. And it's nice to, um, to kind of break that monopoly, I suppose, of of the kind of big clubs dominating these competitions. I know Man City has, kind of had a, a power hold over the Carabao Cup in, in recent years. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And um, even even Middlesbrough going through, you know, they'll fancy their chances as well if they get to the semi-finals against, you know, the the sort of teams who are left in there. Um, you know, I think like Simon says, Liverpool would probably have to be considered the favourites at this stage because of how good they've looked so far this season. But, you know, the one-off cup game, anything can happen. We've seen it so many times in the past. And, you know, I think regardless of what happens, you know, if, Going on the Paul Val example, you know, it could have a transformative effect on their season by, you know, on and off the pitch.
1: I can't believe you brought up that 2004 FA Cup semi final run where your Millwall defeated my Sunland because of a, a Tim Cahill goal. Uh, we'll switch to the Premier League now, when Newcastle against Arsenal. To me, that was the standout fixture this weekend. I know we've got Poch returning uh, to Tottenham, but I feel like this is a real litmus test for both teams here because you know this is a game you know if if you watch the Arsenal documentary when they were going for the top four a couple of years ago they went to Newcastle and they basically capitulated and the atmosphere was too much for them and and they they almost well they embarrassed themselves really and lost that game. Last year they went there and and did win Um, but this is one of them games which I think also have struggled in in recent years one of them where the atmosphere gets a bit too much for them they get a little bit overwhelmed and on the flip side of that i think if newcastle were to to win this game i think you'd have to begin thinking about them being more than just top four contenders and maybe thinking well can they push and try i'm not saying they're going to be you know winning the title or anything but at least be pushing them teams at the top of the league
2: i mean i'll be i'll be at st james's park i'm i'm happy to say i think it is the the game of the day Although that that Fulham Man United game is is starting to rival it, rival it now, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Huge test for Arsenal. Uh, St James's Park, um, you know, on on any game day is is quite a hostile place to go to. Uh, evening game, it'll it'll kind of crank up the atmosphere another few notches. Uh, and obviously, Newcastle are in a great place at the moment in terms of you know they've ju- just hammered Manchester United the Old Trafford in the in the Carabao Cup. Um, feels like a club on the up after a kind of sticky start to the to the Premier League season with a with a few surprising defeats, and it's another big test for Arsenal. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, saw them at Chelsea where they looked dead and buried after seventy seven minutes, two 0 down, uh, and coming off the back of that win over over Man City. Was, was quite a disappointing kind of it was a bit like a bit like after the Lord Mayor's show. But then show real character to bounce back. And I think that kind of answered a few doubts about whether Arsenal have got the, the character to go again. Um we'll 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 get another kind of example of that and we'll we'll know more um on on Saturday night when we see how they, they fare at Newcastle. But you're absolutely right. Massive game for, for big clubs and it, it should be a really top game.
1: Dan, what do you think if Newcastle were to win this? Do you think we can begin to kind of shift them from being, you know, top sort of, well, five contenders now, since it's five teams getting the Champions League, but top five to maybe thinking, well, could they break up that sort of top two or three and really
0: get in amongst those teams who are challenging for the Premier League? Um, That's a difficult one. I mean, in theory, probably yes. Um, In reality, again, i go back to what I said about Arsenal, about adapting to that you know, the demands of, of being in and around the Champions League. going to be a completely different Ketna official in this season. Maybe they haven't effect, felt the effects of that yet. But, you know, as we go into that, you know, festive period and and stuff, because um, I think they're, you know, in a decent position in their group to qualify, you know, that will bring, you know, that will pose fresh problems, new problems later in the season if if that does come to um does come to fruition. So it's it's difficult to say really. Um like I say, on paper, I think um, at the minute in, in the Premier League, you know, they look as good as anyone. You know, they, they score goals for fun and they've had some really, really good wins and, you know, they'll be buoyed massively by the result last night. Um, they'll fancy their chances, especially, like you say, with their previous history against Arsenal. Um, I think it's still too soon to say. I think a lot will will hinge on whether they progress in Europe um, and how they cope with with those challenges, because if something the club hasn't experienced in a long, long time, something Eddie Howe hasn't experienced before, um, and you know, I think that will will pose problems for, like I say, Arsenal and potentially for Newcastle later in the season.
1: With Kizikans free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Simon, we we briefly mentioned Pochettino's return to Tottenham, but Chelsea go to Spurs this weekend. And and that's an interesting game. Chelsea have got quite a difficult fixture list ahead, so they need to be picking up points. And last weekend, of course, they lost against Brentford. It it still feels like it's almost one step forward, two steps back at the minute for Chelsea. And and Pochettino needs to, to battle through
2: that. But do you see this game having fireworks at the weekend? I certainly think it should be an entertaining one. There's always fireworks when Chelsea and Tottenham play. I mean, for years, Chelsea had that stranglehold over Spurs. They just couldn't get a result against them, you know, and it went on for, for absolutely ages. Spurs are in a great place. You're absolutely right. Um, Chelsea are a team that seem to, because they're a team in, you know, they're a team in transi- transition, they're a team that's been built. So you're going to expect a few sort of bumps in the road. But what surprised me, again, I, I was at the Arsenal game and they, they were terrific for a good hour, um, deserved, deservedly two goals up, look really comfortable, you know, probably the best performance of Pochettino's reign. And then a goal goes in and just completely changes again. And again, it's a, it's a kind of mentality thing and a, and a belief thing with Chelsea at the, at the moment, they're just kind of, um, there's some way from, from firing on all cylinders. I'm going to uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at, at this part of the season is, is a really difficult ask given where to, where Tottenham are you know they're just a, a really fun to watch Tottenham at the moment um, you know they, they're just a really entertaining team um, and uh, Postecoglou deserves a lot of credit for that um, for taking over where they were you know last season they were in a bit of a mess they'd lost the the star striker in Harry Kane and and the transformation has been incredible Um and, uh, you know, Tottenham are in such a good run at the moment. I, I can't see anything other than a Tottenham win, but it's, it's a London derby. Um, Chelsea have got quality players. They've got that in the locker to, to pull out a performance. And really after, after that kind of flop against Brentford uh, last week, they, uh, they, they need to start picking up points. Dan what do you make of Chelsea so far this season because I think
1: maybe some people sort of thought Pochettino could come in and, and almost click his fingers and, and turn you know them back into contenders at the top end of the league but I think to me it felt pretty obvious that that wasn't going to happen and I think this is the kind of season that I was expecting from Chelsea some, some good results, some bad results and ultimately a, they're going to need a year or two really to rebuild that football club
0: yeah, I think, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Like um, Simon said, they're a team in transition. Um, Pochettino, I think he's probably, if you're looking for a coach to come and do the job at Chelsea, I think he's probably top of your list. I think he's perfect for it. But, you know, it could take him the best part of the year to even work out his best team with the amount of signings they've made and the players they've got on the books, Is you know, he, he was never going to be a quick fix and there's always going to be teething problems. Um, one step forward, and steps back is probably kind of like a fair analogy, I think, I um, think, I was really impressed with them against Arsenal. thought they were brilliant. And then, you know, kind of old scars, you know, reemerge when they let in that goal and, and they kind of threw it away. Um, but I think it's pretty much half of a course in terms of what I expected from Chelsea this season. I don't think they were, you know, they were never going to challenge um, to the title, obviously. I think top four as well is, is probably, a, a, you know, a, a stretch. Um, this season is literally about kind of getting the club back on an even keel. Pochettino's shown in the past that, you know, he can build up and, you know, build a club up. And and that's what Chelsea need is as, as ridiculous as that might sound, you know, considering where they've stood in the Premier League for the last kind of decade, you know, the problems last year were, were you know, were really, really severe and it, it was never going to be a quick fix. You know, really, this is a season of transition and, and it is what it is. Um, but I think, you know, um, there's been some negatives, but there's, you know, the positives far up the negatives for, for me so far this season um, in terms of Pochettino and, and Chelsea.
1: I mean, whenever I watch Chelsea, Simon, I, I see a very good team until they get at the 18-yard box and then they've just they they've got nothing in terms of finishers. Nicholas Jackson's really struggled. I know they brought in Kungu in this summer who's, who's been injured. They've been linked with Ivan Tony as well. That, that seems to be a pretty persistent link. Do you think for Chelsea, if they can... Find that striker, whether it is in Kungu when he comes back. Do you think that'll be the difference for them? Because even that Brentford game at the weekend, yes, to lose it 2-0 was disappointing, but they had enough chances to win two or three football matches in that game. And I think that seems to be a common theme with Chelsea, probably going back to even Graham Potter being there last season.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing with Chelsea. They're everything but the goal at the moment, aren't they? They, they, Their build-up play can be be quite impressive, Um, you know, Sparkling at times, but they they've not got an out and out striker. I'm disappointed that Un Un-gun, Unkunku's injured because I've, I've seen him in the, the Champions League a few times, and he he's electric. Um, and you know he could probably possibly solve that problem that that Chelsea have got. Um, they can't just keep keep buying players though, can they? They can't just say, oh, you know, we've got an injury to to one of our big signings. Let's go and buy. Uh, Ivan Toni, you know, at some point the the investment has got to stop and the the or not stop but got to slow down, and the results have got to come. Um, and I agree with Dan. I think Pochettino is the 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 right man to to rebuild a club uh, and, and do the you know do the redevelopment that, that that Chelsea have needed. I mean, what we haven't spoken about, obviously, is Pochettino up against his old you know up against his old club, which will be quite interesting. Um, because you know he, he, he will want to go there for from, from a, a personal as well as a professional point of view and and get a result. Um, so yeah, like another another intriguing game. Um, another one that's difficult to call, but again, the, the form that Tottenham are in. um I I can, I can just see them uh, them having too much for Chelsea at the at the moment we'll switch attentions
1: now to the the bottom end of the league Um, Burnley and Sheffield United both have winnable home games this weekend Dan Um, Burnley are playing Palace and Sheffield United are playing Wolves the two teams that have have really struggled to acclimatise to Premier League football I think more surprising is Burnley because normally teams who get over 100 points in the championship come up and do you know pretty well in the Premier League I think Redden have done that and they had a good first year Sunderland did that Donkeys years ago and they had a good year. Normally though it's a telltale sign of a team that's gonna adapt quite well, but it, it hasn't really worked for either of these teams. I think probably more concerning for Sheffield United, but both of these sides look like they could be destined to to fall back through the trapdoor, can't they, this season.
0: Yeah, I know it's, you know, we're at the start of November and I don't want to do a, a garf crooks and, and write anyone off. But I mean, you, you really you're looking at both of those this weekend and, and you need to see something. Um, I think, especially considering they're both at home, like you say, winnable games. Um, yeah, Burnley have really surprised me. I think Sheffield United probably have marginally more calls for concern. Um, but Burnley I, I thought would would come up and and do quite well. Um, absolutely blitzed the championship last year. Um Company did an exceptional job, um, played really good football, and I thought it would translate, you know, quite well to Premier League. Um, but <laughs> Premier League isn't isn't played on paper, and, and that's not proven to be the case. Um, yeah, I, with that being said, I think I think it is important for both teams that you know at least show signs of something because from what I've seen of both of them as well, there's not even really been that much to kind of shout about in terms of positive signs like if the results aren't coming but the performances are there um and you can feel a bit aggrieved and you know there's some solace in that but i've not really seen that from either of them um whereas with loot and the other promote, uh, promoted team kind of seen glimpses of that um so i think it's a really really big week it's the start of november and you know nothing is decided in november really but um already started to feel like for, for both of those teams you know to be, the odds are stacked against them and, you know, they're all in really on insurmountable already.
1: I mean, Simon, Luton, uh, just been mentioned there, but they to Liverpool this weekend. I, that feels like it's going to be a hard day at the office. But I also think, you know, there is the X factor kind of of Kenilworth Road. It's obviously, it's not really a Premier League stadium, is it? It's all the League One standard ground. Do you think that that'll make any difference or do you think that they're just the kind of things that us pundits like to up to add some romance to the fix I mean Liverpool should go into Luton and, and pick up a comfortable win you'd think
2: they should go to Luton and win comfortably and I think they probably will go to Luton and win comfortably but um, these are the games that we all look forward to aren't they when we saw that Luton had been promoted and we saw the, 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 the photographs of the ground after they uh, beat in commentary in the playoffs and you're kind of thinking you know can you imagine the likes of Erling Haaland and Mo Salah going to, to to a stadium like that and, and what it's going to be like. And it's nice to, you know, it, what's wrong with putting Premier League footballers out of their comfort zone? Um, and that's what it'll be. It'll be, you know, it'll be, it, it's a really tight ground, Kenilworth Road. Uh, the facilities, um, you know, are, 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 by Luton's very own admission are, are basic, but, you know, they've done their best to get the ground up to standard. Um, you know, the fans are playing their part in terms of trying to turn the, the stadium into a bit of a cauldron. So they'll give Liverpool a tough time, but whether that is is enough to bridge the gap, I I, I, I don't think so. And it, it could be you're, you're right; it could be a long old afternoon for Luton. But from their fans' perspective, these are the games that they they dreamt of when they were in the you know when they weren't even in the football league. Um, so they won't be they won't be going into it with any fear. They'll be going into it with a you know with with, with a with the belief that they can only win. You know, in terms of uh. Nobody expected them to be here, and they, like I say, these are the games that the supporters will, will be dreaming about. you know, entertaining Liverpool and Arsenal and, and Man City and Man United. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll. Uh, I think Liverpool will have too much for them, though. I mean, Dan, we talked before a little bit about Vincent
1: company, but Rob Edwards, I think, on the contrary to him, he he seems to be a, a diamond of a manager. He, he always impresses me. I think he puts himself across very well. He also seems pretty pragmatic as well and he impressed me when he went in there last season and and took the job Nathan Jones has done which was a phenomenal job and he took it up another level to me he's you know he's gonna have a big future in football management from what I've seen
0: from him so far do you agree yeah absolutely I think the job he's done there's been exceptional um you know he's kind of alluded it to himself he's been very honest that he was left you know really really good foundations but um you know, you talk about the job Nathan Jones did there and he got them close a couple of times, but, you know, getting teams close and taking that next step is, uh, are two different things. And, you know, he did that, you know, so quickly. Um, and, and it's it's even more impressive when you consider the setback he had at Watford. Um, you know, as a young manager who'd done a really good job in the EFL at a lower level with Forest Green um, to kind of get your big break and have it, you know, cut short so brutally. To bounce back is really, really impressive. I think that kind of speaks volumes when you when you look at um, his character. I think, yeah, I think regardless of how the season pans out for Luton, he's clearly got a, a very, very bright future at this level um, in management. Um, he's obviously still relatively young um, in terms of being a number one, um, which all, all bodes well. And and again, however, the season pans out, whether it ultimately ends in, in relegation like many people have, have tipped them to or whether they can defy the odds um, on a personal level he'll take so much from it um, and I yeah I think he'll be a, a fixture at that level for, for kind of years to come
2: you know what fan, fans will forgive a lot if they see their team giving leaving absolutely everything out on the pitch and um, you see that from Luton you know every time I, I've, n- I've not seen them live this season in terms of being, at, you know, actually being at a game, but watching, seeing them on TV, and they just never ever throw the towel in, and that that that's an attitude that comes from from the manager. You know, deep down, Rob Edwards knows that 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 Luton have got a, a severe lack of lack of quality, but what what they haven't that they, they have got is just this kind of huge appetite to, to for the challenge. And, and like, I say, fans will will forgive a lot if they see the players. Putting everything in, and that that stems from from the manager. And um, yeah, I agree with Dan. I think he's a a very talented uh, young, young manager and young coach. And Cy,
1: this weekend, Man City host Bournemouth. So Bournemouth, obviously, I think they've been pretty disappointing this year. I think most people kind of looked at the the relegation. I think Bournemouth was seen maybe as being a little bit above that, but I think. It's been disappointing for them. And this weekend at the AE had that, that's going to be no fun, especially Man City's actually had a week off and they've had to play midweek as well. So they'll be pretty tired. This will be one of them, though, where Pepside are going to be licking their lips, surely.
2: You would think so. I mean, City haven't really been firing on all cylinders um, this season. And a lot of that is down to the fact that they've lost their sort of number one playmaker in Kevin De Bruyne. But I thought that they were, they were pretty close to, to where they normally are in the derby last week. Uh, you know, you saw Grealish, probably Grealish's best performance of the season. Rodri's back, which is is huge for them. Um Haaland's scoring goals again. And you can imagine what um Erling Harland is thinking going into a game against a struggling team. He'll be thinking, this is a, this is an afternoon where I could I could really Sort of, you know, put put my name up there for another golden boot. I've got a feeling I would have to check this out. I don't think he scored. I think City beat Bournemouth quite comfortably last season, and Haaland didn't score um, at the SEAD. So um, yeah, so maybe he'll, he'll want to make up for that. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough old afternoon for Bournemouth, you would think. And uh, City, like in these games, City the like, light trying to to force that early goal, and if they can get that breakthrough quite early, then. Um, yeah it could be uh it could be quite painful for, for Bournemouth
1: okay well we're just about out of time now so thanks Simon for coming on and joining us this one thanks Daniel for coming along as well and thanks everyone for listening we'll catch you next time